0: Welcome to Big Valley Grace. Welcome over in the venue. It was fun to be over there with you guys for a little while. Jackie, you, uh, you're just a really gifted young lady. That's your lane over there. And uh, thank you for leading worship over there. And if you're watching online, we're grateful that you are with us. Uh, you can take your Bibles and turn to three places, okay? John chapter 13, Galatians chapter five, and 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, all the verses will come up on the Jumbotrons. I, I think all the verses are in your notes. And if you don't own a Bible, just go into the altar room here, or the altar room over in the, the venue, and we'll give you a Bible. We'll, we'll, we'll just, just give you one. I want you to have the Word of God for yourself. Um, so before I get into this, uh, man, this brick-and-mortar building here, that's all it is, just brick-and-mortar, was uh, used in some pretty incredible ways this past week. On Wednesday, we had our Born to be Brave uh, event here for dads or grandpas or mentors and their young boys. And uh, man, there was almost 700 uh, kids here with their dads and stuff. This, this was a, a crazy place. Right up here was the the wheel of uh, doom or death or whatever that thing was. And it was just, it was crazy. It was It was crazy fun and yet it was weighty in terms of what the kids were learning and what dads were learning. And then Friday night, we had our Women's Refresh event in here and 700 gals gathered to fellowship and have a great time. We got a really neat email from a a husband who uh, told me that his wife was really just kinda down in the dumpers. And we've all been there, we all all get that. she comes to the event, didn't wanna come, but she comes to the event and when she got home, wow. Just fellowshipping with other Christian women and the, the fun that was had and the teaching that was uh, shared just really helped kind of get her out of that, that, that funk and um, just grateful for all the neat things that God's doing here as we do our best to disciple young boys or women or whoever they, they might be. If uh, you are visiting with us, we're in a series here where we're walking through what is called the Gospel of John together. Uh, it's called the Book of John. Uh, John uh, was a friend of Jesus. They, they hung out together. They would have had breakfast together, lunches together. They would have had dinners together. They would have uh, gone down to uh, Giacomo's and had a coffee uh, together together. Uh, They did life together. John uh, heard probably most of the sermons that Jesus preached. John certainly uh, saw some of the miracles that Jesus performed. John was there the day Jesus died on a cross. John actually saw the resurrected body of of Jesus. So, So when you read the Gospel of John or the book of John, you're reading an eyewitness account to the life of Jesus. And we're in John chapter 13. Now, if you haven't been here, this is your first time, all these messages kind of you know, stand uh, alone so you won't feel out of the loop. But what I've done is, as we've gone through this, I've given each chapter a title. For instance, chapter one was Jesus is God. Right? The Bible Starts out, John chapter 1, says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then you get to verse 14, and it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh. We celebrate that moment in December. We call it Christmas, the day that Jesus was born in that little town called Bethlehem. Chapter 2, Jesus turns water into wine. This was the first miracle that Jesus performed. It was at a a wedding in a town called Canaan. In chapter three, Jesus talks with a religious man by the name of Nicodemus. Chapter four, Jesus talks with a woman at a well and that conversation literally transforms her life. She goes back to her hometown and basically a revival uh, breaks out. In chapter five, Jesus heals a man at a pool. In chapter six, Jesus feeds 5,000 plus men, women, and children. In chapter seven, Jesus promises living water. Chapter eight, Jesus talks with an adulterous woman. In chapter nine, Jesus heals a blind man. 10, Jesus is my shepherd. 11, Jesus raises Lazarus. And chapter 12, Jesus is anointed with perfume. And then last weekend, we looked at chapter 13. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Now, obviously, there's a whole lot more that happens in each of those chapters than that little, you know, phrase I gave you. But that was, that phrase was something we did zero in on, and I even challenged you to memorize maybe that little, you know, title heading for each chapter. That way you kind of know one of the weighty things that took place in that particular chapter. Okay, today we're gonna continue to look at chapter 13. Look at verse one, okay? It says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to the Father, okay? He's only gonna be alive for about 24 more hours, all right? This is Thursday, On Friday, the next day, Jesus is going to be on a cross. He's going to die. We celebrate that moment, the day that Jesus died, and we call it Good Friday. And that sounds kind of morbid, especially if you don't know the Lord. It's called Good Friday, and yet you celebrate the day that Jesus died? Yeah. Yeah, it's a a, a great day for those of us that know Christ because of what it accomplished. And certainly when he walks out of the tomb... The scripture goes on and says, he had loved the disciples during his ministry on earth and now he loved them to the very end. So here they are, they're they're having one last meal together and it says that he now is going to love them to the very end and how did he love them? What did Jesus do to demonstrate his love for the disciples at that moment? Verse four says, so he got up from the table He took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. Beloved, Jesus showed these men that he loved them by serving them. He loved them by putting their needs ahead of his own. He he loved them by sacrificing for them at this moment. He's now gonna love them to the very end, and so here are all these men around the table, their stinking rotten feet are there and and, in their little sandals. And here's the king of kings and the lord of lords kneeling before them and he's washing their feet. He is demonstrating love even to the very end and he's demonstrating a different kind of love because because there comes a moment when he gets to a guy by the name of Judas's feet. Judas was the betrayer. Judas was you know an unbeliever. And he gets to Judas's feet and he washes his feet also. He loved Judas also. He met a need that Judas had. Also, he put Judas's needs ahead of his own because God's love is an unconditional love. He loves you whether you're a Christian or not. His love is unconditional. He doesn't love you because you do something cool for him. He doesn't love you more because you're here today worshiping him. He doesn't love you less if you're, you know, decided for whatever reason to stay home. He just simply loves. Now look at verse 31. Okay. As soon as Judas left the room, so they've eaten. Jesus has now demonstrated his love for these men up until the very end. He's washed their feet. Jesus said, The time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, he will give his own glory to the Son, and he will do so at once. Dear children, I will be with you for only a little while longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come to where I'm going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Boy, we gotta pay attention, this is a big moment. I'm gonna give you a new commandment, you ready? Hey guys, you ready? Here it is, you you got all these commandments in the Old Testament, and one of those commandments was to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Leviticus tells us they were to love their, 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 their neighbors. So what's this new commandment gonna be? Love each other. Well, Deuteronomy already tells us we're, we're to love. Oh, but he doesn't stop there. Love each other just as I have loved you. Ooh. That's a new wrinkle on the commandments in the Old Testament to love. Jesus is now saying something to us. You're to love the way I loved you. That's weighty, we're gonna talk about that more here in a moment. Your love for one another, your, your love for one another, Christians, and that's who he's talking to, will prove to the world that you're my disciples. And Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, Peter, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord, he asked. I'm ready to die for you. And then, of course, verse 38 says, Jesus answered, die for me? Really? I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Isn't it a lot easier, I think, to die for Christ than to live for him? (laughs) Now I want you to turn to Galatians chapter five. And Paul writes these words. He says, For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, when we become a Christian, when we put our trust in the Lord, okay, when we become one of his followers, there's no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What's important is faith, your belief in God. Your trust in God expressing itself in love. One version says it like this. If you're a follower of Christ Jesus, all that matters is your faith that makes you love others. Man, isn't that, isn't that interesting? In other words, God says what matters in life isn't your account." You know, accomplishments or your fame or your wealth or whatever. What matters in life is your faith, your relationship with Jesus Christ. Somehow that has to make you a better lover. It has to make you a better lover of God and it has to make you a better lover of people. Even people you don't like. If somehow your belief in God, your trust in God, your faith in God doesn't make you a better lover of him and a better lover of others, then something's wrong. Hey, Jesus, as he went around the table, was washing the feet of a lot of people he liked. But he also got to a guy named Judas and he washes his feet too. Here's the bottom line. If your relationship with Jesus Christ doesn't make you a better lover, then something is wrong. I like what Dr. MacArthur said. He said it like this. Saving faith proves genuine character by works of love. Hey, if you wanna know you're a Christian, I don't want you to think back to some prayer you said maybe in here or you know somewhere else. Nothing wrong with a prayer. I want you to think about your life. The moment you gave your life to Christ, have you, have you seen yourself become a better lover? Do you have a deeper lover lo- love for God than today than you did yesterday or the day before, you know? Do you see your love for people growing? Do you see your love for people you don't like? Growing. You see, it's your, your love for God and your love for people that will prove to you and to the world that you really are a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, when it comes to the topic of love, without a doubt, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 has got to be the defining you know, passage. So go ahead and flip over there real quick. The Holy Spirit fills our brother Paul, and God has him pin these words. He says, if I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels but didn't love others, I'd only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love, I'd be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. And then verse 13 says, three things are gonna last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Now in this little section of scripture, God says three things. Number one, God says, if you don't live a life of love, your words are worthless. If I could speak all the languages of the earth, let me ask you, how many of you here uh, can speak two languages? Raise your hand. Come on. Okay. How many? Three. You can do three languages. Okay. A couple of you. How about four? Got anybody four? We had someone last night who had five. Anybody got four? Okay. Oh, over here. How about five? Six? Oh, you win the prize. Imagine. Imagine. Imagine six six languages. I I butcher up the king's English. I I know basically one, and I still mess that one up. Imagine, Paul says, you could speak not five or six or seven languages. You could speak them all. Wow. You could even speak the the language that angels have. Wow. Wow. But if you didn't love others, just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, People today, really throughout history, are really impressed by great speakers or great communicators. We love to hear somebody that can really inspire us, but God says, you know, that doesn't impress me at all. I don't care about how good a communicator you are. What I care about is do you love people? Do you love? That's what I care about. Words with out love or just worthless. The second thing God says is this, is that if you don't live a life of love, your knowledge is worthless. He says, if I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, man, I knew everything there was to know about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way through Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, all the way through. Man, I knew it all. I knew all the great doctrines of of the faith. He says, man, even if I had a faith that could move a mountain, and obviously that's not literal. God doesn't want us all running around moving mountains. That'd be weird, wouldn't it? I'd move this mountain, you'd move that mountain. That's not what he's trying to say when you hear those kinds of phrases. He says, but if I didn't love others, man, doesn't matter what all your Bible knowledge and all that, doesn't matter. Gotta love. And then the third thing he says is, if you don't live a life of love, your giving is worthless. If I gave everything I had to the poor and I sacrificed even my own body, in other words, you, you, you became a martyr? That's sacrificial giving, right? I, I could boast about it. Hey, you know, look, look how much money I gave. You could boast about it. But if you didn't love others, you would have gained nothing. One version says, no matter what I say or what I believe or what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Here's the deal. You can rack up all kinds of great accomplishments in your life. You can build a billion dollar company. You can get your picture on the cover of GQ magazine. You can win the Nobel Peace Prize. But the Bible says it isn't worth much in God's eyes if you don't love. It's how important this is. I shared this with you before, but it's worth repeating. Paul, John, and Jesus all said something really profound about love. Paul says, we just read a little bit ago, that love is the greatest, right? There are three things that are going to remain forever, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And one of the questions you've got to try to wrestle around with is, why is love the, the, the greatest, well, in my opinion, the reason why it's, it's the greatest is because it's really going to be around forever in a unique way. You see, when you get to heaven, yeah, you'll have faith, but you don't need it anymore because you're going to be in the very presence of the Lord. You, 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 obviously, you're, you're going to have hope when you're in heaven, but you're not going to need it anymore because you're actually going to be in the very presence of, of the Lord in a, in a real way. But love, on the other hand, is, is way different. See, love is what God is. So, love is going to permeate heaven in an incredible way. And I think that's why it's the greatest. John said this, John said love proves that you're actually a believer. He says in 1 John chapter four, dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, why? Because God is love. So if you're not loving the way God says you're to love, then there's a problem. There's a problem. And then Jesus said this. Jesus said, love is your greatest responsibility. In Matthew chapter 22, a a young whippersnapper came up and asked Jesus a question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. The greatest thing we do with our lives, beloved, is that we love God above all else. We love God in a greater way than we love our spouse. We're to love God in a greater way than we love our children. We're to love God in a greater way than we love our boyfriends or our girlfriends or our fiancés or whatever it might be. We're to love God, greater, have a greater love for God than we do our pets, our animals, or whatever all that might be. Love your spouse. Love your kids. Love your parents. You know, parents, love your dog, I don't care, but your love for him is to trump all other loves. That's the greatest commandment. But then Jesus said, I need to give you number two, young man, because it's equally important. Number two is, is that you're to love others the way you love yourself. You're to love others the way you love your your neighbor. And then in one of the Gospels, the question is asked, well, who is my neighbor? Great question. Because may, may, maybe I don't need to love everybody equally. Who, who's my neighbor? Can you clarify that for me? And then Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. That a guy's on his way on a little trip and he gets jumped by a bunch of bad guys and they beat him up. and... You know, steal his clothes, and they take his wallet and watch. I mean, it's a, it's a robbery gone bad, you know. And then there's a guy on his way, on the same road. He doesn't know the guy, never met the guy, has no clue who the guy is, doesn't know him at all. And he shows up, but he sees a fellow human being who's beat up. You know, bloody nose, clothes are all ripped, got scrapes and cuts all over himself, wallet's gone, everything's gone, and he shows up. He doesn't know the guy. Never met the guy. But he's hurt. And so... I'm sure he didn't have a medical bag on him, but it, you know, he, he takes some of his own oil and pours oil all over his wounds, and probably took one of his own shirts, ripped it up and, and, and began to bandage up his wounds. Then he picks the guy up and puts him on his own you know donkey. And now he's walking, he takes him to a, you know, a hotel room and says, hey, listen, I don't know who this guy is. I never met this guy, but here's the deal. He, he got beat up and he, he's in bad shape. Uh, would you put him up in a room and I'm gonna pay for it. Probably, he probably be okay for a couple days in the room. Here's a couple days. But, if, but when I come back in through town, if he had to stay longer, maybe he had to stay a week, maybe he had to stay two weeks, I'll take care of the bill. You see, he's sacrificing he didn't even know the guy. He's using his own oil to try to heal his wounds. He's ripping his own shirt as bandages. He, he's now taking time off from his own trip to get the guy you know, to a hotel room or to a doctor. Now he's paying money out of his own pocket to put the guy up. And so who is your neighbor? Just look to the person to the left or right of you. Who's your neighbor? It's it's anybody. It's another person. And Jesus says, this is the greatest commandment is that you love him above all else. And then you're to love others. And it could be you're to love Judas's. We probably all have a Judas or six in our lives. God even says in his word, you're to love your enemies. (sighs) Look, one day you're gonna stand before God when you die And God's going to evaluate your life. And when he evaluates your life, he's not going to look at your bank account. He's not going to look at your list of accomplishments. He's not going to look at your grade point average. He's not going to look at your sports trophies. He's not going to look at your endorsements or your resume. God's going to evaluate your life on one thing, your love. Did you really love him? Number one, And then, did that manifest itself in a love for others? That's just your life's going to be evaluated on. Do you really love him? Really? That's where it begins. But what is it? What, what, What is love? Well, I've shared with you a number of times that in my opinion, it might be one of the most overused words in the English language, right? I mean, we use it to refer to all different kinds of things. Um, you know, 99.9% of us would say, we love God, right? And then 99.9% of us would say, we love you know, pizza. Really? Please tell me there's a difference between your love for God and your love for pizza. Or your love for your dog or your love for, you know, whatever it might might be. Most of us have written and received love letters, right? Most of us have special love songs that we like, right? Those of us that are married have a special love story that we, we have. But what is it Exactly. What is love? Well, here's the deal. Um, I'm gonna give you a few thoughts. And for some of you, this is gonna be difficult. And my point isn't to make anybody feel guilty. If you do feel guilt, maybe that's the Holy Spirit. Just embrace it and whatever you think you need to do, do it. But the point isn't to make anybody feel guilty. The point is to simply share as best I can what God says about love, what it is. The Beatles said, all you need is love. (laughs) Then they broke up. Um, I'm not sure what that means. Um, You know, some of you would agree with the great Pat Benatar, right? Love is a battlefield. And you would say, yeah, it wasn't my first marriage, there's no doubt about that, right? Some of you might agree with Tina Turner that it's just some sort of secondhand emotion. But what is it? Well, the first thing I want to share with you is this, is that God commands you to love. He commands you to love. Go to John chapter 13 again. Let's look at our text. Jesus said, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. I want you to love each other. Now, if he would have stopped right there, we're golden. Man, thank you, man. Now we get to determine what it looks like. And we could all walk out of here going, yes, I'm loving, I'm a loving person. But he doesn't stop there because he knows us. He says, no, I'm not gonna let you determine what it looks like. Just as I have loved you. He's just washed their feet. He's just served them. He's just washed the enemy's feet, if you will, Judas's feet. He's put their needs ahead of their own. This is a sacrificial love. Your love for one another, if you love people the way I have loved you, that'll prove to the world that you're One of my followers. You see, saying you go to Big Valley Grace is a great thing. Saying you go to, I don't know, First Baptist is a great thing. I go to Calvary Chapel, great thing, great. I go to Shelter Co., fantastic. Someone tells me, hey, I go to, you know, Redeemer. I I don't know, okay. I don't go, well, that means you're a believer, Someone tells you to go to the church, that doesn't mean they're a believer. That just means they go to a church. That's all it means. They might be a believer. The odds increase that they might be a believer, but that doesn't mean they're a believer. One of the the ways that I know some of you, and I know a lot of you in this room, hey, I know you're a Christian, not because you're a member of this church, but I see how you love others. And that tells me, yes, the Holy Spirit lives inside of them. Yes, the Holy Spirit is transforming their life. John said it this way in 2 John 6. He says, love means living the way God commanded us to live. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is this, live a life of love. Living a life of love isn't optional, It's it's commanded. God commands us to love one another, serve one another, care about one another, meet each other's needs. Now, buckle your seatbelt, I want you to think about this. Because love is commanded, that brings up an interesting thought, and that is this. If God commands us to love, then it can't be a feeling because God would never command a feeling because you can't command a feeling. Commanding a feeling is like trying to command the wind from blowing. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, the next time your child or grandchild gets all upset and is crying and is frustrated, I want you to go up to them and say, I command you to be happy. I was over in our children's ministries just a little bit ago before this started, and there was a little girl in there going crazy, crying, 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 my mommy crying, 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 and they're doing all this stuff. And I walked over and had this little popcorn thing, pop, 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 and I'm trying my best, and I literally thought of this. I thought I would look at her and say, I command you to be full of joy. (laughs) Doesn't work, does it? Because you can't command a feeling. Now, without a doubt, love, love creates a feeling. Love produces a feeling. It causes a feeling, but love isn't a feeling. And for those of you that think it is, you've got a really shallow view of what love is. Which brings me to number two God says that love is a choice. In Colossians chapter 3, the scriptures say, and over all these virtues, and he's just recorded and listed a number of virtues, he says, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. God's word says, family, I want you to put on love because it's a choice you make. All of us this morning, we got up, we brushed our teeth, we combed our hair, we went into our closets, and we chose the clothes that we put on. And God's word says, love is the same way. It works the same way. Almost exactly the same way. When you get up in the morning, you go into the closet, and you either make the choice that I'm gonna put love on, or I'm not. It's a choice you make that's why God can command it there have been many times because of my actions or my words or my sinfulness or you know whatever that I didn't deserve my wife's love I didn't deserve her to put on love I gave her every reason to to leave love in the closet but because of her deep, love for Jesus Christ, she made the choice to put it on. I didn't deserve it. At that time I was acting a lot like Judas. But she loves the Lord. And she understands that God says to her, I'm commanding you to love. Now put it on, and she always puts it on, always. Look, when your spouse acts in a cruddy way or says cruddy things or whatever, at that moment, you got a choice to make. Do I put on love, or do I live in willful disobedience to God's word and leave love in the closet? And that's what it is. It's willful disobedience because God commands it. Look, here's the deal. When you make the choice to say, you know what? I'm not putting it on. I'm not loving my spouse. Let me tell you something. Your marriage is in trouble, right? Just in trouble. But that's the least of your problems because you know who you're in bigger trouble with? The very God that you're disobeying. You think you're gonna have trouble with your spouse by not putting love on? Yeah, you'll have trouble. But God commands you to put it on. And when you say I ain't putting it on, you and him are gonna have an issue. I want you to know this uh, destroys another great myth that we all have about love, which is that most people think that love is uncontrollable, right? You see, we often hear the phrase, you know, I fell in love, like somehow they're walking down the street and what? I fell into a hole, you know, I just fell in love, you know, totally uncontrollable. I didn't even know what I was doing. I just had a, you know, Pepsi, I'm in love. It's like, what? What are you talking about? Or sometimes, or not sometimes, but oftentimes I hear, you know, I just don't love him anymore. I just don't love her anymore. Like like it's like it's somehow uncontrollable. Like like man, I went into the closet to put love on, and I just I just couldn't do it. There was a force field around it. <laughs> I couldn't get to it. Couldn't put it on. I know God commands it, but for whatever reason, you know, I just couldn't get it on. I just I just couldn't put the coat on. I couldn't couldn't, couldn't do it. See, you can choose to put love on or you can choose to leave it in the closet. You get to make that choice. I can't tell you how many times I've had some man or some woman say to me, trying to justify their separation or divorce, I just don't love him anymore. I just don't love her anymore, as if it's totally out of the control it. here's the deal. When someone says, I don't love him anymore or I don't love her anymore, what they're saying is, is that I'm now making the choice to not put love on. I'm making the choice to blow God's command off to love. I'm not gonna do it. Number three. God says you're to demonstrate your love. In other words, love is conduct. Again, verse 34 says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other, just as I have loved you guys. Guys, listen, look back on my life with you, I've loved you, no doubt about it, but what did I just do? I just demonstrated my love for you by serving you, by, by meeting your needs, by taking care of you, Now, at the time, they didn't know Judas was some loser, but later on, I'm sure they were all sitting around, maybe out on the boat, going, you know what's weird? Jesus knew that Judas was a loser, but he washed his feet also. At that moment, they didn't know. And he, he, he shows that love sacrifices That love humbles itself. Love puts itself at the feet of somebody else. And certainly that's got to mean your your spouse. John said it this way in 1 John chapter 3. He said, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other, right? Talk is cheap. Let us show the truth by our actions, Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we'll be confident when we stand before God. You see, love is a behavior, it's a way of acting, it's something you do. Love is a verb, it's what it is. Love isn't some sentimental feeling down in your gut, it's a conduct. You know, I told the family last night, so in all my years of being married, there have been, you know, all these years, 10 years, Four, I don't know five thousand days I'll bet there's been 12 days that I had a goosebump my wife being married to me I'm sure it's higher than that saying how could you how could you not have a goosebump being married to me point is is this uh it's not about goosebumps Not about that. I remember the, when I saw her walking down the aisle when we were getting married at Westmont Chapel. There's only a handful of people in the little chapel. I could only invite, I don't know what it was, about 50 people. I had a goosebump. Wow, God, are you kidding me? You've honored me. Here she is walking down the aisle with her brother. I had a goosebump probably had five or six goosebumps on the honeymoon and then we got home and all of my great posters were off of my <laughs> walls stuff was missing I, I used to have the couch over here where what happened to my comfy underwear with the whole <laughs> with, the, with, with the holes that were all in it my t-shirts I, what happened I don't know Right. we we, we hear I don't know if it's just America or not but certainly in America it's this goosebump. I have this feeling and if the feeling's gone well then I'm done I'll get a new model I'll just trade, trade her in trade them in the Bible says this in Romans chapter 5 but God demonstrated his own love for this for us in this here it is here was a demonstration. Oh, all through the Bible, it tells us I love you, I love you, I love you, love you, love you, hey, love you, love you, love you. But now he's going to demonstrate, he's gonna put some, you know, put put some action behind it. While we were sinners, while we were all Judases, Christ came and voluntarily went to a cross. Died. That's action. That's sacrificial action. That's sacrificial love. He came to meet our needs. So how do you do it? How do you build a a life of real love? Well, there's lots of ways, but let me give you three real quick as we land the plane. This is the practical piece, okay? Number one, start your day with a daily reminder to love. You know, a lot of smart people out there say that the first 10 minutes of your day basically sets the entire mood for the rest of the day. I think that the scripture's Probably teach that also, that there's something special about the morning time and putting our hearts in the right place with, with the Lord. So if you get up in the morning and say, God, I, I just want to remind myself that one of the most important things in my life is to love. I, I, I want to love you today with how I live. I want to make sure that, man, I sacrifice whatever I got to sacrifice to love you. And then God I need to love maybe the person who's lying right next to me, my wife or my husband. Or man, there's some kids right down the hallway that I need to make sure that I love today. I need to demonstrate my love to them. I need to put their needs ahead of my own. I need to wash their feet today. I'm going be- to go to work today. I'm going to run into all kinds of people. And God, I'm-, I'm commanded to love. And so, you know, when you go in and you pick out your work outfit, whatever it is, don't forget... Put on love, you see. Put it on. Uh, n- n- number two, memorize what God has to say about love. I gave you a number of verses here today. You want to become a better lover of God and better lover of people? you got to memorize the word. And there's a whole lot more passages in Scripture and vignettes of the life of Jesus I could have shared about love and what sacrificial love looks like. But spend some time saying, you know, I'm going to memorize the word. And so not only am I going to get up in the morning and say, God, help me. I, I, I really want to love you today in a greater way and love those around me in a greater way. But I'm now going to memorize some scripture. You put those two together. Wow, that's a powerhouse right there, right? And then number three, practice acting in unselfish and loving ways. Okay, love is like a, like a muscle. The more you use it, the more it develops. I was thinking about my son who's learning to drive right now. Yeah. Okay, he's just, you know, uh, unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Um, if I'm never, if I'm not here one weekend, why I'm, I'm in a roundabout, smashed up with eight other cars. Okay, <laughs> so you know that. Uh, but he, he's learning. He, he's not going to be real good at it right now. Why? Because he's learning. But there'll come a point in time when he's driven as you know much as us and he'll be better at it. And so loving people, you know, it takes some practice. And once you just start doing it, it's amazing how you'll just, oh, you know what, I just get better at it. And by the way, I guarantee you, your life will change. When you really love somebody, you sacrifice for them. You, you care about them. You meet their needs. You get down on your knees and humble yourself and serve somebody else like your spouse. It, not only will it do something for your spouse, it changes your life, you see? So those are just three practical things. Okay, stand up. We'll end with this piece of scripture here. Over in the venue, why to stand? Paul said this in Ephesians chapter five, he said, you are God's children whom he loves, so try to be like him, try. Now you're never gonna be totally like him, but try. Hey, Jesus washed feet, come on, you try to be like him. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a sweet smelling offering and sacrifice to God. Father, thank you for our time. Today, man, the music was just sacred in here. It was sacred over in the in the venue, Lord. Give us a great time of fellowship now as we hang out together as a family. And I pray this in your name and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord bless you. Okay, live for Christ.